The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin following a down day that saw all the major averages drop by more than 1%. Stocks looking for a reversal of fortune today. Futures are pointing to some small gains. And we're getting a fresh snapshot of the state of the Eurozone economy. A live report from London ahead on the breaking GDP numbers. And walking away, reports say that Intel will back out of a more than $5 billion deal to buy rival chip maker after failing to get the approval of one major global regulator. And the retail earnings season, it just continues to roll on today. We're going to preview whether Target's results will hit that bullseye And later in the show, with companies still trying to get workers back to the office and a looming reset of billions of dollars in commercial real estate loans, we get a health check on the sector from one of the biggest players in that market. It is Wednesday, August the 16th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start the day. We have some breaking economic news at this hour. The latest snapshot on the state of the eurozone with second quarter flash GDP our Germana Brissetti is in our London newsroom with those numbers. Germana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yes, so the numbers have just been hitting the wire now. This is the uh, second a flash estimate for the second quarter GDP coming in at 0.3% quarter on quarter. That is in line with the initial estimate. So no real surprise there. On an annualized basis, we're looking at 0.6% year on year. And this does tell you that the eurozone economy did actually show slight improvement in the second quarter versus where we were in the first quarter. But if you look at the subcomponents at the individual company level, uh, the leadership is coming from France. We saw 0.5% for the preliminary reading out of the French economy. Spain also up 0.4%. But Germany, the number one economy that we're watching in the eurozone, did actually record a flat reading for the quarter, coming in at 0%. And of course, looking ahead, as we get the early signs of how the economy is going to shape up in the third quarter, so far the news hasn't been very promising. We are beginning to see a slump in some of those manufacturing numbers, in addition to business sentiment. So we're keeping a close eye on that. Elsewhere in the UK today, we are watching uh, the pound very closely. Sterling is ticking higher after July inflation data painted a mixed picture for the UK economy. Now, headline inflation came in at 6.8% on the year. That was in line with expectations. But both the core and the services CPI figures came in slightly hotter than expected. And on the back of that, the markets are dialing up their expectations for what the Bank of England may do at the next meeting. A 25 basis points hike is priced in. A terminal rate of 6% is now priced in to the interest rate curve. And that is having an impact on some of the interest rate sensitive sectors in the UK economy. Frank. Our our Germana Brissetti with the latest numbers on flash GDP for the eurozone and UK inflation. We're going to turn our attention back to this side of the Atlantic. Right now, we're going to take a check of U.S. stock futures. As you can see in the green across the board at this hour, it looks like the Dow would open up about 70 points higher. We'll continue to look at the action on the futures after that flash GDP for the eurozone. So the action we're seeing in the futures here in the U.S. after the major averages, they all closed down more than 1% yesterday. 
They were weighed down by a decline in the banks and also worries about China's stalling recovery. You're seeing the S&P market action right here. The S&P closing below its 50-day moving average. That's the line you're looking at right here, very slightly below that 50-day moving average for the first time since the end of March. We also saw the Dow Transports, one of the big gainers in the second half of the year. It was the biggest laggard among the major indices yesterday, down one and three quarters of a percent. It's worst day in two and a half months. We're also checking the bond market and looking at yields as yields kind of just hit yesterday. 4.274, highest level since October. This morning, you're seeing the benchmark 10-year declining a bit here at 4.18. We continue to see the inverted yield curve here. As always, uh, we continue to watch yields overall. But again, the 10-year hitting its highest level since October. We also want to take a look at the Asian markets falling today on the back of Wall Street's losses. Japan, Hong Kong and South Korea all down Across the board right now, the Nikkei, hardest hit, down 1.5%. Hang Seng, down almost 1.5%. I have to uh, uh, amend what I was saying. The Kospi out of South Korea, down one and three quarters of a percent, the hardest hit, but in the red across the board. We're also looking at the energy market this morning. Oil in particular is always WTI crude, just above 81 bucks a barrel, basically flat this morning. Brent crude, about 10 cents below 85 bucks a barrel, also flat. A little bit more movement in the natural gas market. All right, let's get more insight now into what we've seen in the market so far this week. Annika Trions, the chief economist at Van Schlag Kempen. Annika, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. So first, I'm going to get your reaction to that flash read of GDP for the eurozone. Also, that mixed inflation report out of the U.K. How do you see that impacting the international markets and potentially the U.S. markets? Well, let's start with the mixed inflation report. The most important thing to focus on is core inflation because the world has a core inflation problem and it's stickier than we all would have hoped. And that's, again, what you see in the U.K., which has had the biggest inflation problem in the whole of Europe. Core inflation is still sticky, and it's sort of three times what the Bank of England has in terms of targets. So this structurally higher inflationary environment that we're in, that's yet another proof point. So I think that that's the main thing there. And in Europe, you know, you can look at it on two sides. On one side, you can say, gosh, in October of last year, had we known we would end up with a GDP at this level in Europe, we'd all be extremely happy. We were talking about a deep, 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 dark recession for Europe then. Um, on the other side of the table, it's the issue that we've got complacency that, you know, the economy is slowing down, but you don't see it in, uh, in markets, in equity markets. Yeah, you know, that's a really great point. Right now we're looking at the European markets, not seeing a, a deep impact either way from that GDP read. Um, but we are seeing the Asian markets kind of uh, having a negative impact from what we saw here in the U.S., um, do you see this interconnectivity and the cyclical situation continuing going forward? And our U.S. markets, are they, are they looking for some reason to pull back? We're going to talk more about that later in the show. But after such a big run up, is that just generally investors looking for a reason to pull back? Yeah, and we, we've been using words like markets climbing the wall of worry for years already. Right. Let's be honest. The only thing we need to be extremely careful about is. Let's remember those acronyms, TIMA, TINA, there is no alternative, uh, TRINA, there really is no alternative. This time, there is an alternative to equities, and that's bonds. And if you can get a 4% yield risk-free, 5% by adding very limited risk, it is always extremely tempting to move from equities to bonds. And that's why the, the movements from one side to the other can be much sharper, much more aggressive, and more volatile okay. than we've seen in the last 10 years. 
Yeah, we're spending a lot of time talking about the international markets. One other thing I want to talk to you about is China and its GDP forecasting. They believe they'll be below their 5% GDP growth target. And at the same time, we have a downgrade of U.S. banks, including possibly J.P. Morgan and other big money center banks. Um, we're talking about international things and big macro things. Which one of those two do you believe will have the biggest impact on the U.S. markets today? I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about banks. But again, we have to zoom out. The banking system in the U.S. is healthy. And yes, there are areas within regional banks that we need to watch more carefully. And there could be consolidation there and commercial real estate's an issue. But the larger banks in the system are healthy, looking at any ratios you want to look at. What's more important is probably the China story. Why? Because all eyes are on whether or not the, you know, the central bank there is really going to start the stimulus engine. And thus far, it just hasn't happened. You've seen right. a property crisis. You know, you've seen. So I think that, that's potentially more interesting. More interesting or more impactful when we talk about the U.S. markets? Yeah, probably more impactful indeed. Could be, depending on what decisions are made, of course. Yeah, a lot to talk about there. A lot of U.S. companies with large China exposure. Annika Trion, always great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. All right, well, Intel is terminating its $5.4 billion deal to buy Israeli chip maker Tower Semiconductor. Intel struck the agreement in February of last year, but failed to secure approval from Chinese regulators, which was required under the contract with Tower. Intel will instead pay a $353 million breakup fee to exit the deal. Apollo Global is reportedly selling a $500 million loan it issued to trucking firm Yellow and is halting plans to help finance the company's bankruptcy. The Financial Times reporting the loan has been sold to a fund owned by Citadel. Last week, an attorney for Yellow said the group will not seek court approval to borrow more than $140 million from Apollo and is instead exploring alternative options. Tesla is cutting prices on the Model S and Model X in China by nearly 7% as it looks to reduce its existing inventory. This follows a similar price cut for some models in the U.S. this week. The move comes after sales of Tesla's China-made vehicles fell 31% in July from June, the first monthly decline since December, as the automaker halted some production to prepare for a launch of the revamped Model 3, Frank. You know, I think these price cuts are good for consumers. The stocks is a different story, but I think a Absolutely lot of people story. Yeah, who are EV drivers looking forward to some of these price cuts. Absolutely. Price become a little bit more competitive. Yeah. All right. Savannah, see you later on the show. Thank yep. you, as always. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including that one word that investors have to know today and buying the dip, but not that dip, shares of Kava. They're jumping after the fast casual restaurant chain reports its first set of results since going public. That is just one of your big money movers this morning. And the world's biggest iPhone maker is diversifying its production and supply chain further away from its home base in China, where Foxconn has just cut the ribbon on a new factory. And consumers continue to spend, but that trend, it may not exactly show up in today's results from Target. A preview of the biggest issues facing the big box retailer. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? 
When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Take a look at the futures right now. Trading pretty close to their highs of the morning with the exception of the Dow. The Dow actually down just a few points. But in general, green across the board. All right, taking a look right now. Commercial real estate sector. Wall Street may be looking to capitalize on the sluggish commercial real estate sector, creating new funds to acquire office buildings, apartments and other properties at heavily discounted prices. Regulatory filings showing Cohen and Steers, Goldman Sachs and BGO are among the names raising billions of dollars for distressed properties. Values for commercial real estate have declined in recent years due to spiking interest rates, higher borrowing costs and a slow pace of workers returning to the office. Now, as the U.S. and some of the biggest banks assess the possibility of credit rating downgrades from Fitch and Moody's, could there be even more pain for this sector? Let's ask Hassan Naji, president and CEO of Marcus Millichap, the largest real estate financing firm in the U.S. Hassan, good morning. Thank you for being here. Frank, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. All right. So give us a sense of the state of the industry. You're you're coming off earnings. I want to mention something, your earnings. On your most recent call, you said the media coverage of the stress of the commercial real estate sector it's been overblown. You say we're doing too much when it comes to us. Give us a sense. What's the state of the sector right now compared to how it was pre-pandemic? Let's start with the fundamentals, occupancies, rents, and uh, they are as healthy as they've ever been because they're a reflection of a strong economy. We're at uh, full employment, have had many years of solid employment growth, and that is reflected in demand for all kinds of office space. I'm sorry, all, uh, commercial real estate space, except for office because of the effect of the pandemic. Even retail, shopping centers have made a big comeback. Apartment buildings are, are uh, very well occupied. And self-storage, hotels, uh, even to, to a very large extent, industrial warehouses, which have been the darling of the industry and had some overbuilding, are still performing very, very well. So the fundamentals are very healthy. It's really the um, interest rate and valuation part of the industry that's broken because of the 525 basis point increase in interest rates at such a rapid pace. And that's what's causing all the trepidation. The reason I say it's overblown is because of the fact that uh, if you look at the banking system, 24% of total outstanding loans are in commercial real estate and 15% of those are in office buildings. And uh, the vast majority of properties that are within those loan portfolios are performing really well, uh, including most of the office buildings. So you're saying 15 percent of all the commercial loans are office buildings. Correct. So the thing we're overblowing is the office building situation. But we're accurate when it comes to just the office buildings. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it's it's certainly hard to get some workers back to work. We're saying uh, in the office, I should say. We're seeing a lot of companies entice, sometimes force workers to go back in. So long term, what does that mean for your business? What it means is that uh, the, the office sector certainly is going to experience more pain than any other sector in the next two to four years. There's no question about it. But multifamily and all the other property types are less likely to have 
this notion of huge distressed sales and right. huge fire sale discounts. In fact, you were talking about the funds that are being raised for distressed buying. We saw it in 2008, 2009. Right. We saw it in 2001, 2002. And they were extremely frustrated because the fire sale never came. Okay. I, I do have to ask you, though. Yeah. When it comes to commercial real estate, whether it's office buildings, apartments, anything else you're talking about, leverage is so important. So you mentioned the, the huge uh, basis point hike, 525 basis points, 5.25% on interest rates. Isn't that a long-term headwind that's going to really hurt this sector? Because leverage is so important. It is absolutely important. It's the reason why transaction velocity is down about 50 to 60 percent across the industry. So we have it right. It is. We have it right in the sense that the industry is slowing down because of this. Right. But the notion of widespread distress leading to fire sales is what's overblown. All right. Let's get some other reporting. You, You just touched on it. Wall Street firms reportedly are raising new funds to buy commercial real estate at lower prices. Reports are that some funds are even looking to raise funds so they can lend to commercial real estate property owners, presumably at higher rates. Overall, what does that mean for this industry and this sector? There is a credit crunch we're facing in the industry right now. Banks have pulled back for all the obvious reasons. Although I will say another thing that's overblown, you have a banking system that is so much better uh, capitalized today than it was in 0809. I mean, to the to uh, magnitudes of significant improvement in liquidity, and therefore my assessment has always been that overall U.S. banking system is much much healthier than you would uh, you would expect. But um, uh, besides that, uh, what I think is going to happen with these funds is that they're going to see some opportunities and and. Funds are stepping in to fill the void where banks have basically stepped out of the market. Okay, that's loaning, though. What about buying? I mean, if you even look at uh, residential real estate, which was red hot, you're seeing people start to slash those prices. Prices are adjusting. And going back to your question, what's going to get us through this and what's the outlook for the industry? Prices have to adjust in a higher interest rate environment. The Fed has said interest rates aren't coming back down anytime soon. And the reality of the higher interest rates, which, by the way, on a long-term basis, are normal interest rates. Uh, I don't I, think anybody wants to hear that. Nobody. <laughs> I, I don't That's think very, your, your clients true. want to hear that. I don't it think you want to hear that. But it's an adjustment from right. where we were, of course. That's shocking the system. So it just sounds like you're saying that these, these funds that are raising money, they are going to buy some of these properties yes. at lower prices. If you yes. had to give an estimate of what you think the discount would be, what would it be? Right now we're seeing a 15 to 20 percent discount from the March 2022 high is what is taking to get multiple offers. Right. By the way, there's a wall of capital waiting to come into the industry. So when you're seeing those 15 to 25 percent discounts from the peak, there's multiple offers and they're overcoming the lack of financing availability right. by putting in more equity. Okay. Uh, that seems to be the number. I think it's going to go higher for some assets. 10 to 15 percent. Office probably is more like 40 to 60 wow. percent. Uh, I know we got to leave the conversation there. I think you have other meetings to get to. It's going to be a busy time for you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. Nice it's to great see you, to have you here. Thanks for Sam having me. of Marcus Millichap. Thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, call it a rich session. Global wealth declining for the first time since the financial crisis. We look at where the rich are becoming less rich in today's top trending stories. ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. We begin with H&R Block. Those shares rising 
After the company topped earnings forecast offered upbeat guidance and hiked its quarterly dividend by 10 percent, the tax prep company citing its do-it-yourself strategy, pricing power and positive customer satisfaction metrics for the strong results. Taking a look at shares of H&R Block up six and a half percent. Agilent Technologies moving in the opposite direction. The medical equipment maker cutting its annual profit and sales forecast for a second straight quarter due to soft demand in China. The company reporting a 17 percent decline in revenue in the third quarter and expects similar challenges in Q4 due to China's faltering economic recovery. Those shares down more than 2 percent. Shares of Kava Group, they're popping as its quarterly earnings and revenue beat estimates as consumers continue to spend on dining experiences despite higher prices and recessionary worries. The Mediterranean restaurant chain reporting its first set of results since its IPO in June. It's opened 16 new locations this quarter and says it plans to have a thousand restaurants in the next decade. Those shares up more than 12 percent. Don't miss a first on CNBC interview with Kava CEO Brent Schulman at 10 a.m. Eastern today right here on CNBC. All right, let's get a check on this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the very latest. Francis, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. We start with the devastating confirmations that are now reaching desperate families in Hawaii. Officials have begun identifying the many lives lost in Maui's wildfires, naming two victims in their 70s. The death toll in the tragedy has climbed to 106. And the governor warned that teams could find as many as 20 bodies a day as they search damaged structures. President Biden has announced $700 payments to every displaced family for immediate needs. Former President Trump is on the defensive following the sweeping indictment over alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. Trump, who has maintained his innocence, is now calling for his crowded schedule of trials to be pushed until after the 2024 election, alleging interference. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is one of the 19 defendants in the Georgia case. He has filed his own move to uh, move charges in federal court, which could result in a more favorable jury pool for defendants. For the first time, North Korea's state media commented on U.S. soldier Travis King, who was in their custody. Their report said King decided to go north to North Korea because he faced racial discrimination in the U.S. Army. The Defense Department could not verify those claims and says their priority is bringing King back home. Frank, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. All right. Francis Rivera, live in New York. Francis, thank you very much. Well, there is a lot more to come right here on Worldwide Exchange, including why the money men behind the box office phenomenon, Avatar, The Way of the Water, they're taking Disney to court. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up right after this. It's right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there is a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The dog days, they're here. And the markets and investors, they seem to be experiencing the summer doldrums. Our Bob Fasani looks at what, if any, catalyst can light a fire under stocks. And consumers, they continue to be resilient, as we saw yesterday from the retail numbers. But will that trend show up in Target's results today? A top analyst gives us his thoughts. And when it comes to identifying opportunities for your portfolio, where our next guest says it's a good idea to think small. It is Wednesday, August the 16th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, taking a look 
Seeing futures take a bit of a downturn from earlier today. Right now, the Dow looks like it would open up about 30 points higher. When we started the show, that was about 70 points higher. We're also looking at the bond market. As always, we start with the benchmark 10-year. We're seeing it come in at 4.18, just down a few basis points from yesterday when it hit its highest level since October. As always, continue to see that inverted yield curve. We're also looking at the energy market, specifically oil. As always, we start with WTI. Seeing WTI just uh, 10 cents below 81 bucks a barrel, taking a decline from earlier today, down fractionally before it was up fractionally, and also Brent crude down at about 84.78, also taking a downturn from earlier, down fractionally as well. Natural gas moving up just slightly since we last checked. All right, turning now to strong economic data and the markets. That strong economic data, recently at least, it could be shaking investor hopes of a soft landing and sending the major indices lower. But is the recent sell-off a sign of a bear market? CNBC senior markets correspondent Bob Pisani takes a look inside the numbers. The S&P 500 is down nine of 11 days, but it's still only 3.2 percent off its recent highs. Still, why are we hitting the string of down days? There's a hiccup in the soft landing story. Rates have been rising recently, causing some to worry that the Fed will be forced to keep rates higher for longer or even hike rates more than expected. Ten-year Treasury yields are hovering near their highest levels since October of last year. Now, that's causing a hiccup for stocks. Still, the prices may be off, but there's no panic out there. Trading volumes remain seasonally light, indicating the problem is a lack of buying interest. It's not sellers looking to get out. And the volatility is very muted. The VIX has been below its historic average of 20 since the end of March. It's 16 now. And despite poor economic news out of China, the macro environment in the U.S. remains strong and it's still supportive of a soft landing. The problem is the timing isn't very good. Earnings season is over, so we don't have that to talk about. August to October is a seasonally weak period for stocks and the market is very richly valued. The lack of issues to focus on means that the Federal Reserve's Bank of Kansas City annual gathering in Jackson Hole next week will be the primary short-term focus for traders. This is going to inevitably lead to more over-analysis about all this yield problem we're having. Still, keep it in focus. We're in much better shape than last year's Jackson Hole conference. Back to you, Frank. All right, that was our Bob Pisani with a look at the markets. Turn our attention now to retail. Shares of Target, they're on the rise today as the retailer prepares a report. Q2 earnings this morning, top of mind for investors. The company's ability to bounce back from a disappointing year with profits hit hard by excess inventory, higher markdowns, and weaker demand for discretionary items. Target telling investors in May sales trends have weakened and it expects a low single-digit increase in same-store sales in the most recent quarter. Let's get more insight with Bradley Thomas. Managing Director in Consumer and Retail at KeyBank Capital Markets. Brad, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right, before we get uh, into this quarter a little bit more deeply, I want to talk to you about how you're seeing Target right now. What is your rating? What is your expectation for the quarter, um, especially with Target sales mix being considerably more discretionary than its rival of Walmart? Uh, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, uh, right now, we rate this, the company in sector weight. We did downgrade the stock back in June. And our near-term concerns really are around some of the pressure on the discretionary side of the business that we're seeing. Uh, we think some of their categories like home and apparel may be down low double digits when they report this morning. Uh, and uh, we know that in 2Q, there were some acute problems uh, also from customers boycotting the brand. And then, of course, uh, uh, unfortunately, shrink 
theft in stores has been an issue and we think may have gotten worse here. Uh, so as we think about the near-term setup, I actually think a lot of that negativity is very baked in. Uh, stock's been a big underperformer over the last two or three months. And so it wouldn't surprise me if you got an element of a relief rally here today uh, as they clear the deck and talk about some of these challenges. What keeps us on the sidelines as we look out to the back half of the year are uh, continued challenges in some of these areas, uh, but also the incremental headwind that we're expecting from student loans that we think would, could right. hit target more than other retailers. You know, I want to talk to you about student loans in just a minute, but I want to get to you about uh, talk to you about something else that you tell me big deal, small deal. So last quarter, Target saw a slight decline in the percentage of sales originating online. So from just over 18 percent down to 17 and a half percent. That meaningful? Because our, the understanding in retail is the idea is that you want to push more and more to omni-channel selling. That's exactly right. That's another area of disappointment for investors. Uh, Target was a big beneficiary during the pandemic, not only of, of, of growth in stores, but of online and hasn't really been able to drive incremental e-commerce growth over the last few quarters. Uh, this in comparison to Walmart, uh, that's really uh, hitting stride on investments in advertising, fulfillment, and marketplace that have been driving e-commerce growth in the 20% range uh, o- over there. Uh, so, you know, we'd really like to see that going in the right direction at, at Target before getting more positive. All right. So you touched on student loans. I want to get to it. I look online. I see the estimates between... 200 bucks a month on average, up to 500 bucks on average uh, of a student loan payment. How big of a deal is this for Target with that consumer discretionary sales mix being so high? It's, it's a great question. Well, I think first and foremost, it's, it's important to remember that, that it's, it's really hard for us to tell how big of an impact this is going to be on retail. Uh, when student loans were paused, there were so many other changes happening to the consumer that it's impossible to go back and measure who got the best benefits from this. And as we look forward, of course, the Biden administration is doing everything in their power to delay uh, the need for for borrowers to make their payments. But a hit to the top line is what you're saying, basically? Exactly. But as it stands here today, you know, our our math is that there are 25 million Americans that are in forbearance that should be coming out of forbearance. And when we look at our key bank credit card data and and payment data, you know, the average payment had been about four hundred dollars a month. Uh, That'd be a big headwind, potentially ten billion dollars a month. If everybody ends up paying. Yeah, you know, a good point. I don't think people are going to cut back on eating, but they might not go into Target and buy, you know, a T-shirt, bath item, right. whatever else it is. Bradley Thomas, it is great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau back with those. Savannah. Hey, Frank, I'm back. All right, Frank. Well, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy reportedly in support of a months long funding package that would extend federal funding operations into December and allow more time to work on annual spending bills. The package known as continuing resolution would need approval by a majority of Republican leaders to be passed. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he and McCarthy have already discussed the option in order to prevent a government shutdown next month. TSG Entertainment is suing Disney for breach of contract, alleging the movie studio intentionally withheld profits and cut sweetheart deals in order to boost its Hulu and Disney Plus streaming platforms, as well as its own stock price. TSG, which helped co-finance movies like Avatar and Deadpool for 20th Century Fox, says it spent over $3 billion in the last decade and has been deprived of hundreds of millions of dollars by Disney. And shares of Vietnamese EV maker VinFast lower in the pre-market. 
down about, oh, wow, down almost 10 percent. Now, after this, after big, after big moves in its, stock, in its market debut yesterday, VinFast, which went public via a SPAC, currently sits at a valuation higher than Rivian, Lucid, and Nikola combined as it looks to compete in the increasingly crowded electric vehicle space, Frank. Yeah, big dip right now, but Huge. big jump this week. Wow, yeah, up 125%. Silvana, move. great to see you as always. Thank yeah, you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more iPhone 15s reportedly hitting the assembly line. We're going to tell you where, but first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Is it time to ditch the TV remote completely? New data from Nielsen showing traditional TV usage fell below 50% during July for the first time on record as consumers continue to flock to streaming sites despite price hikes and password crackdowns. And the rich, not so rich anymore. Global wealth declining by 2.4% for the first time since all the way back in 2008 due to volatile currencies with approximately 1.7 million Americans no longer identified as millionaires and nearly 20,000 more dropping out of the ultra high net worth category. And it may be time to rethink your next vacation. The number of U.S. travelers flying to Cancun falling from last year, citing destination fatigue as more turn their attention to destinations in Europe, Japan, and other parts of the Caribbean. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with UBS upgrading Keurig Dr. Pepper to buy from neutral with a price target going from $37 to $42. UBS says shares of the soft drink and coffee maker are trading below historical averages and at a deep discount to peers. But the firm believes an earnings inflection point is just beginning to take shape and see sustainable organic revenue growth driven by an improved outlook for the coffee business. Keurig Dr. Pepper shares up more than one and a half percent in the pre-market. Bank of America is lifting its price target on NEO to roughly $16 per its U.S. ADR. It expects solid sales momentum to continue for the Chinese EV maker after it reported deliveries more than doubled in July. B of A also expects NEO's charging infrastructure to boost its sales volume. Shares of NEO this morning actually down more than 4% in the pre-market. And Deutsche Bank is weighing in on NVIDIA ahead of the chipmaker's earnings next week. The firm says it's maintaining its whole rating with a price target of 440 a share. Deutsche says while it expects another stunning earnings reporting guide from NVIDIA, the most important metric will be the magnitude and slope of future growth. Shares of NVIDIA this morning up almost 1%. And time now for your global briefing. New this morning, the Eurozone flash GDP seeing a 0.3% quarterly rise and a 0.6% year-over-year increase. European markets, they're mixed on the back of that report. UK headline inflation cooling just a bit in, in July, despite core CPI remaining unchanged, putting potential pressure on the Bank of England's next monetary policy decision. And Apple's iPhone 15 reportedly beginning production in India as the company looks to close the gap between its India operations and primary manufacturing hub in China. Bloomberg says a Foxconn plant in India is preparing to deliver the devices just weeks after they start shipping from Chinese factories amid ongoing efforts to de-risk the supply chain from tensions between Washington and Beijing. Taking a look at shares of Apple this morning, they're up fractionally. Foxconn shares down more than 1%. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus why our next guest says it's time to move past large cap stocks and where he's looking now. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up right after this.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Intel is terminating its $5.4 billion deal to buy Israeli chipmaker Tower Semiconductor after failing to secure approval from Chinese regulators. Intel will instead pay a $353 million breakup fee to exit that deal. Shares of Intel of fractionally right now. Tesla is cutting prices on the Model S and Model X in China by nearly 7%, following a similar price cut for some models in the U.S. this week as it looks to reduce its existing inventory. Those Tesla shares down more than 1.5% this morning. Apollo Global is reportedly selling a $500 million loan it issued to trucking firm Yellow and is halting its plans to help finance the company's bankruptcy. That loan has now been sold to a fund owned by Citadel. And shares of Kava Group, they're popping after beating earnings and revenue expectations and reporting 16 new restaurant openings as consumer demand for dining experiences. That continues to remain resilient. Shares of Kava up 12% in the pre-market. And Tencent is posting earnings this morning where it saw a surge in profit for Q2, but missed expectations amid ongoing cost-cutting efforts and rising sales in its core gaming business, its cloud and fintech units. Those shares down more than 1%. Here's what to watch today. July July housing starts and building permits. They're out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, followed by industrial production at 9.15 a.m. Then at 2, look for minutes from last month's Fed meeting. As for earnings, we get results from retailers Target and TJX, the parent of TJ Maxx, Marshalls and HomeGoods. We also hear from Cisco Systems after the close. And taking a look at futures right now, muted after yesterday's sell-off. Bit of a mixed picture. We're seeing uh, the Dow, excuse me, the S&P right now go fractionally lower. The Dow well off of its highs. The Nasdaq just fractionally higher at this hour. All right, my next guest says opportunities lie not within the big market names leading the market, but in the small caps. Joining me now, Simeon Hyman, global investment strategist at ProShares Advisors. Simeon, it is great to have you here. Thanks for having me. You're talking small caps. Put you in a small chair, man. We could have put you in a higher chair, right? I'm short anyway. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Great to have you here. So let's get serious for a second. You're all about small caps. I'm looking at the numbers. Russell down 1.8% over the last week, deeply underperforming the other indices. These stocks often seen as the most interest rate sensitive, looking at the 10-year at its highest level since October. Why small caps now? So first, it's a valuation story. And look, you can be cynical about it. If you don't have performance, you have valuation. But it has been over a decade of underperformance. The Russell 2 is trading at 50 cents on the dollar to large cap stocks. But your concerns are warranted because when you go down into small caps, quality degrades, leverage goes up, interest rate sensitivity. For us, the solution, and you know I'm the the guy who comes with applications of dividend growth (laughs) to places you might not expect it. You can apply that dividend growth screen to small cap stocks and resolve some of those quality issues, but access that discount. All right. So you're leading us in a direction. So I have to ask you, what's your WEX word of the day? So the WEX word of the day is small cap dividends. I always sneak in two words. That's a phrase. It's a phrase. It's almost a phrase. Almost a phrase. But the hyphen makes it only two words. When you go into small cap stocks and you screen for dividend growth, like we do in our in SMDV, ProShares, uh, Russell 2000 Dividend Growers, you resolve many of those issues. And if you want to see a stark place to see that, look to earnings season. To your point, the Russell 2000 writ large shrank earnings 26% year over year. But the Russell 2000 Dividend Growers grew earnings last earnings season 21%. So just to be clear, your thesis here is that what you don't get from price action, you get from dividends. Correct. Okay. But you also should be able to get some price action because of that earnings growth. All right. So your pick for us today, you just mentioned it, um, ticker SMDV. It's a small cap dividend fund. 
Um, give us a sense of the holdings in there, the top holdings, and what you're buying when you buy the CTF. And is this a move you would just do today? Would you do this today? So a couple of pieces. One, there are no top holdings. So it's an equally weighted strategy, which is a really important way to think about it, particularly in this environment where we're worried about top heaviness or even a portfolio that's skewed. So it's an equally weighted strategy. And indeed, for many folks who probably have kind of ignored small caps for a long time, and, and they were right on that trade, uh, it belongs in a well-diversified uh, well asset allocation. Yeah, we're looking at the chart right here, down a half a percent year to date, um, closed lower yesterday. So if this is a smart play, why aren't investors running to this yesterday? Why did it close down one and a half percent? Well, the, the issue is that top-driven market. Folks have just not been looking at it, and it's paid off in the era of free money. So with those technology names starting to pull back a little bit, the breadth beginning to expand in the market, our suggestion is don't stop looking for that breadth just at the other 493 names in the S&P 500. Look beyond large caps. All right. I know you're also focused on yields. How do you see yields impacting the market today? Just taking a look a minute ago, uh, 10 year at 4.18, yesterday even higher, highest level since October. We've got to remember, we saw a big sell off in October, November, and December last year. Super important stuff here. We had strong retail sales this week, uh, and that's coming on the back of lots of better news for the economy than folks would have expected. But CPI, PPI looked good. What you see in the yield curve is an appropriate reaction to that. And that is, yes, a little bit of rise in short-term yields. Maybe the Fed will stay higher for longer, but a steepening or at least a less of an inversion because the 10 year's gone up a lot more than the two-year. We think that's getting to a stable place where about 2% real yields on the 10-year. So don't expect any further either increases in rates or decreases. We think we're at that long-term equilibrium. But by the way, that means that P.E. multiples, don't expect great expansion there. It's got to come from earnings. All right, so you, you believe that we've hit the peak when it comes to the 10-year? Stability. Okay. In other words, the long-term average of the 10-year yield is going to stay around this level. 2% real right. and 2% inflation. So maybe we have 25 to 3% inflation. Maybe we get to 45 or so on the 10-year. Uh, but that should be a pretty comfortable place, even, and this is important, even as the Fed cuts. Because when the Fed cuts, don't expect the 10-year to rally. Very important. All right, understood. I want to, I want to shift you beyond just the U.S. markets to global. Uh, we got that read on Eurozone GDP. Kind of a mixed reaction from Europe last time we took a quick check. Um, what do you think that means? What does that say about the global economy for Eurozone GDP to show not only sequential growth, but 0.6% growth year over year? We're back to the sort of cynical but truthful story. Those things that haven't been performed are inexpensive. We know that Europe, similar to small caps in the U.S., are trading at roughly 50 cents on the dollar to the S&P 500. Now, you can't get that excited about it because the long-term average is a 30% discount. Right. 50% is better than 30, but don't, don't think that it's so dirt cheap. Um, but if I had to make a choice, I'd rather bet on the small caps at 50 cents on the dollar than Europe at 50 cents on the dollar for a little while longer. So you're, you're not feeling that great about the international markets right now, you're saying. So is it go beyond the Eurozone? You're saying just the U.S. markets in your mind are the place to be? Because we have a lot of guests coming on and say there's a lot of opportunity in, in international markets that have either underperformed or have actually outperformed but have more room to run. I think you just have a little more time. Sadly, the war in Ukraine is not over. And, of course, the weakness in China that we've all been talking about this week may have a little bit more of an impact on Europe than it does in the U.S. So I think you just have a little bit more time to access that 
discount that is clearly there, even in developed international markets. You know, you're leading me to my next question. Um, China coming out saying that they believe they're going to miss their 5% growth target for GDP for the year. Does that impact any parts of the U.S. market specifically? I mean, maybe industrials, maybe tech. Is, is there an, uh, an impact that you expect to see kind of play out today and throughout this week? I think it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, historically, there hasn't been a huge impact. Look, China's obviously bigger than it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So we can't completely ignore weakness there. But we have never really seen weakness in the U.S. be precipitated uh, by weakness in, frankly, any other country around the world. I want to come full circle. Your pick for us today, the SMDV ETF. It's a small cap dividend fund. Um, really focused on dividends out of small caps, equal weighted, which is interesting. We're hearing a lot more about equal weighted. So in general, right now, is this the time to, to kind of go in and buy the dip on dividend stocks and dividend funds that have been underperforming? Well, they've actually started to perform again. So, uh, but, but indeed, look, this is an all-weather strategy. That's the important part. You see so many fe- people taking the valuation of the S&P 500 and they say, well, it's 20 times, so that's a 5% yield, and the Treasury is at 5%. Oh, my God, that's bad. Well, yeah, if the stocks aren't growing their earnings and dividends, that's bad. But the whole point is to seek out growth. So rather than flip all the way to deep value that might not grow, if you buy a stock that's not growing, you might as well be a bond. We think that the dividend growers are a real important place to be because of that growth. Simeon Hyman, we got to leave it there. Thank you for taking us all around. We're going to take one quick look at the futures right now before we let you go. Taking a look. Um, green across the board right now. We did see the S&P dip into negative territory just a minute ago. However, the Dow well off of its highs, um, up about 70 points at one point in the pre-market when we started the show. Uh, we also want to take a look at bonds this morning right now. Um, taking a look, as always, we focus on the benchmark 10-year, still where it was uh, earlier today at 4.18%, just slightly off of its highs yesterday when it pulled back from its highest level since October. Uh, again, t- the benchmark 10-year at 4.18%. Um, Looking at other parts of the market before we let you go and send you over to Squawk Box right now, Um, taking a look right now at Intel. Intel walking away from more than $5 billion takeover, a smaller chip rival, uh, Tower Semi. Shares of Intel up fractionally. Tower Semi, however, down more than 10%. That's where we're going to leave it. Thank you so much for watching. Squawk Box coming up next. Have a good day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.